Listening to the Rumors of Instinct podcast. I thank you all very sincerely from the bottom of my heart, all subscribers, listeners, fans, aficionados, and followers. New and old, thank you very much for tuning in once again. This episode is a very intense one, a very complicated one, and it's going to be about Freemasonry. And the Vedic influences that it has. That the Vedic, its relationship to the Vedas, its relationship to the um, culture of the Aryans that created the Vedas in the ancient world and past Yugas. And a lot of it is very hard to understand if you don't already have a moderately you know well developed and and um, seasoned experience with this esoteric subject because one, it's very mysterious to many people how the Freemasons operate, but once you've already understood that society, of um, particularly Western occultism, um, then you have to then also educate yourself on the past and how Vedic societies and cultures, cultures um, exist within our modern-day world. And then... It's like two lifetimes worth of education and synchronize both those educations and kind of find um, where they intersect. And, um, you know, doing this subject and doing this show and doing um, the work that I've been doing um, has prepared me, you know, enough to have a grasp on the material, but I am no way saying I am an expert And this is as new to me as it will be to many of you. Rest assured, and have no doubt about that, that no matter how much I have traveled, uh, either alone or with fellow travelers down this this craft, um, I still, you know, am nowhere near any kind of... um, you know, finishing line when it comes to uh, the educations and and information available to learn, to study, and to understand uh, when it comes to 
real mystical tradition, real ancient tradition, you know, universal tradition, uh, different cultures, anthropologies, and things like that. Um, different, different philosophies, and um, you know, it's always good to see with open eyes instead of uh, you know trying to learn with a closed mind. And so, uh, I know a lot of people in my audience and in my listener fan base have very strong feelings, opinions, and personally held beliefs when it comes to organizations like the Freemasons, or when it comes to religions and faiths and theologies like the Vedas. And this is in no way... um, a a effort at disrespecting beliefs or inviting controversies. This is a mature and dignified discussion over um, occult cultural practices, beliefs, and communities which are realities in the universe that we live in. And theosophical amongst us I remember this show has always gone forth as a Gnostic and Theosophical effort, a, a program of Theosophy in which all truth is true and there is nothing higher than the truth. Um, well, understand that and, and embrace this kind of exploration of many subjects and many, many things. Um, you know, being kind of uh, already enlightened in that kind of cause. But... I don't endorse or proclaim to, you know, say anything is superior than any other or any kind of ideology is inferior. This is merely a deep exploration and a series that's going to be fundamentally based on deep exploration of the Vedas, Vedic ideology or Vedic theology and Vedic uh, beliefs. The culture of the Indo-European, or otherwise known as ancient Aryans, that created this culture of the Vedas, and their influence on modern society. First and foremost, it's a scholarly approach to this. This series is a scholarly approach to it. Um, It is co-hosted by a resident that, unfortunately, due to a sudden family emergency, uh, was not able to make this second episode but we are hoping that she will be uh, back for the third installment of it uh, based on her knowledge of the Vedas and in the cultures because she is much more of an expert in the subject than my uh, 37 years of experience and that's Sama Agni so um, definitely going to link her information with including in the video for promotional material check out her Instagram and check out her uh, project supporter because She supports this podcast, the Rumors of Instinct podcast, and you can definitely go and check out my social media and uh, support me at Instagram at Rumors of Instinct, as well as uh, check out my link tree below to check out all the different platforms and directories this podcast is hosted on, as well as, say, for example, my YouTube links and uh, different kinds of ways of communicating with me, reaching out to me, such as my uh, podcast email, etc., So, that out of the way, I deeply appreciate everyone who supports and reaches out to me on Patreon or PayPal as well. 
donating and, and giving a little bit uh, for the um, consistently produced uh, efforts of mine, my productions, my videos, the portfolios, libraries, which are made available to everyone for free. Um, it's how I survive. It's what motivates me. It's what encourages me. It also is what funds me and my levels of production. So definitely, if you enjoy this content, if you enjoy the messages that I bring forward, if you enjoy the disclosure that I'm helping, um, you know, get across to the masses of doing my part in this whole war on truth, uh, war for truth, uh, you know, on the front lines, posting like memes like a son of a bitch. And so if you guys want to help keep the uh, war alive and help our boys in the front lines buy war bonds and donate to my Patreon uh, as little as a dollar, and you can get listed as a producer on many of the uh, YouTube videos that I'm going to be doing in the future. So that's my uh, kind of personal introduction and the backstory behind the Vedic nature of these videos. So let's kind of go forward and progress with that as mature, non-confrontational, non-hostile adults. So this is all for those who want to learn. If you don't want to learn, Please, it's it's not gonna hurt uh, my feelings. I'll understand if you if you choose to, uh, you know, if you prefer keeping a closed mind. I understand. So uh, let's move forward non-judgmentally about the organization of the Freemasons and how they interpret the Vedas. So without having to do a repetition of the most basic formula for how secret societies of the ancient mystery schools operated um, their entire roots as based on Enochian or King Solomonic um, type um, preachings and symbolism and occultism and the Kabbalah and the idea of like Hiram Labif and things like that if you can put all of that aside and I know many people have spent many, many years learning about these things, you know, like educating themselves, enlightening themselves on the meaning of their symbolism from the beehive to the architect square and everything from the one sleeve and the one pant leg and the noose around the neck and the whole, you know, bopping on the head and all that fake burial. So if you can get past all that, what really lies at the heart of it are the ancient mysteries. And the ancient mysteries get that name solely for the fact that their true nature and consistency, like what really constitutes the ancient mysteries, like the verbiage, the actual symbolism is always up for debate and controversy because it was never really um, <sighs> properly, exact, never properly disclosed. It's available. People have made many educated guesses on it people have done a lot of good research on it and have kind of tried to link it back to ancient Egypt. But I believe that their efforts, say like that of Bill Cooper, uh, when he came up with his ancient mystery series, were excellent and they're accurate. But they didn't really reveal the source. They just revealed the oldest source that they could find, you know, with the available research without kind of, you know, um, making too many assumptions because a lot of this stuff is lost to history or is not has been kept secret. This is information that's kept as secret 
as any technology or any historical event. The knowledge itself, the actual, you know, linkage itself. And it's done so through translation and through the fact that by the time it was in the Western tribes, the Western people's sphere of understanding and of reach, it was already ancient. You know, like when Cleopatra was alive, the pyramids were already thousands of years old. Like, you need to appropriately understand that, that America is only 275 years old. If you really think about it, um, you know, like, imagine a monument being in America that's thousands of years old by the time you're alive, and then thousands of years later, it's, you know, it's, it's at a plateau of ancient, right? Like, it's already considered ancient, and it's just, it'll always be ancient. From, and mysterious, as time goes on, it'll become even more mysterious. The same thing with the Vedas. The Vedas are, um, and, and I know I'm, mistrans- I'm mispronouncing it, probably going to be mis- mispronouncing everything from here forward, so... Uh, bear with me, or better yet, leave comments uh, numbering and timestamping every time I mispronounce something and correct me because I could actually benefit from the tutorial. Uh, he's like, I'm kind of flying solo here. Um, and so basically, the ancient Vedas are so old because they're older than the pyramids. This knowledge is from a different age. Literally, in the Vedas, it says millions of years ago. Billions of years ago is not within the... is not without the time scale because it deals with an infinite creation cycle of infinity that... And this is the kind of thing about the Vedas is when you really open your eyes to it. Everything is intricately calculated through astrology. And what modern science is saying about time, that it's billions of years old, the universe started 14 billion years ago, and that the world is multiple billions of years old, and 4 billion years old, and the sun is 7 billion years old. This is, in principle, exactly the same deep time logic you have to follow with the Vedas, except the Vedas is much more intelligently controlled and, um... Absolutely, it's not as cold and sterile as the idea of modern physicalists want you to believe. It has a pantheon of celestial beings, earthly beings. I think there's seven different levels of heavens and hells. There are 12 material planes separated between six and six. Um, then you have your idea of the the perceivable reality with, that we consider our dimensional awareness, like the 3D reality. The world looks the way it does now to us because this is how enlightened we are and we can only see it for what it is. But other beings exist and coexist uh, for eternity on time scales that aren't imaginable by everyday beings because... Like, a god can live a natural life that takes billions of years to play out and wouldn't even be considered a very powerful god. It would still be considered some kind of mortal, living in the mortal spheres, whereas gods themselves um, are represented through hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of 
avatars that interact with other avatars of its own creation and self in worlds that it created as dreams that it had. And so, <laughs> that's what I said. There's monads, which is uncertain the Western ideologies, the highest of the Western esoteria uh, approaches these subjects. But the great majority of the population, and I guess the great majority of the population everywhere, does not even know the Vedas exist. And yet, and I understand the argument of Hinduism being Vedic by default is like the kind of thing that most people understand or most people want to believe but is not the case Hinduism I have found out is actually a umbrella term for what could be millions of different deities and folk practices and idols and uh, rituals and, and things that are just traditionally considered from the Indian subcontinent. And thus it's not like a unified belief system. But in fact thousands if not millions of individual uh, shamanic practices. That are indicative of like native tribes that, that outsiders call Hinduism. Insiders really have a very complex understanding of Hinduism, but outsiders just simplify it by calling it Hinduism, and that's why there are things like, like a million gods are a plus in Hinduism. It's not because they're all gods of equal value, it's just a thing that there is so much diversity and difference and in individuation inside the overall freedom of the spiritualist practice, the animalist practice of Hinduism. Yes, there is a Vedic Hinduism, but those are traditional practitioners, sages, and gurus of Vedic teachings, and that these traditionalist uh, monks, these traditionalist students of the Vedic lore they understand the Vedas. They understand this under, like, knowledge, but they are still a minority. They're still actually quite rare globally. Most of them only geographically kind of coalesce around northern India, around Nepal, and around uh, like Sri Lanka in the mountains. Like It's more of a rural, mountainous teaching. Now this is important geographically because it's extremely remote. Westerners did not even go to this area until World War II. I think the first time an American flew over to Tibet it was actually after uh, World War II had already started. Uh, for example. Like this is not a, 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 a uh, overstatement to say that this area is probably the most foreign area you could possibly imagine to our Western modern sensible like sensibilities. This is where it all connects, is because that does it's new to us, it's mysterious to us, but it's extremely old. It's probably the oldest um, 
traditional ancient writings, um, ancient uh, verses, uh, scripture, um, you know, holy text, um, canonically, just just it, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, and it exists in a civilization that itself has been like tens of it's like ten thousand years old. You know, like China's ten thousand years old. This is like older than China historically. This is pre-Sanskrit. This is of a world that fell before the what we consider the first society to ever rise. This is scripture that's older than the pyramids. And it was found and located in the, the kind of like Kashmir Valley mountainous Tibetan area where it's got a lot of like, you know, it's, it's like the Garden of Eden, basically. Um, now, these people haven't changed. It's not like they all know it from birth. It's just that's where generally the holy texts and your monks and your learned scribes would have consolidated their information. So you had to either go there or be really serious about learning um, wisdom and scripture and attaining knowledge in, in proximity to God. Now, I believe this knowledge is not new, like I said, and historically it's always been around influencing people, including Jesus Christ, who went to India to study with the Essenes, who I believe the Essenes were teaching Vedic knowledge and teaching the Vedas. Now, this would give the idea of the Holy Trinity into the Kabbalistic, uh, at this time, uh, pharaonical, ancient Egyptian practicing magicians of the Pharisees and the ancient Jews. And so, when people talk about the battle between the ideology of Jesus Christ and the ideology of the, I guess you would call it synagogue of Satan, which is an extremely uh, materialistic and at the same time considered cabalistic uh, kind of imposter Israel. They're talking about a split between the spiritualism available within things that we would commonly know as uh, Buddhism or meditation or these oriental type philosophies of Taoism, of uh, Vedic, uh, the Vedic Hinduism, I guess it's, it's hard to speak about without using those definitions and those terms, uh, the Vedas, uh, sages, different kinds of monks and crafts like that, you know, spiritualist practitioners like that from the East and from the Orient, um, the gurus, the, the people, the monks, the, the shaman, um, the, the holy men of the East, you know, and, and that live in caves, the hermits, uh, trying to express myself and how exactly that he would bring those traditions and those practices from the East to the West, which was becoming cosmopolitan as represented by the fact that they, you could buy a sacrifice to the temple for money. And the idea was that the real justified faith was in these Eastern practices of, uh, and, and including everything, including everything from chakra work to the harnessing of chi, you know, yin and yang balance, that type of knowledge compared to what was becoming increasingly a set of 
labyrinthian rules like the Talmud and the uh, Zohar are very labyrinthian uh, super condensed like extremely hard to read um, books of holy law in the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew canon like there like there are many rabbis who practice Talmudic law who have never read the Talmud because the Talmud is like a, a hundred volumes and it has like a thousand different variations like it's not an understatement and I'm not trying to be anti-Semitic at that point you know even though I, I really don't like the Talmud I believe the Talmud is an extremely corrupted text um made by rabbis in the middle ages it's a middle aged text it's it's nothing like you said no one should no one should follow anything that that happened in the dark ages quote unquote that happened in the dark ages um but the talmud is you know made to be difficult on purpose and it's all about the world and it reflects all about the world the vedas are all about what happened in the cosmological genesis or origin and kind of what's going on around us. And it's written exactly like the Psalms. It's written exactly like the Psalms. And a big part of the ancient world. And what they consider the, the big grave mistake and sin. And the fall of the ancient world is. When it went away from the King Solomon laid plans of the temple. The Enochian plans of King Solomon. And, and basically, as he was chant, as he was gifted the the knowledge, the wisdom, right? So basically, they considered him to be the Messiah, the Mashiach. And when they stopped practicing it, they started practicing Roman beliefs. This I they, they destroyed the temple, and the idea of destroying the the temple, the second temple, King Solomon's temple. The first temple was Enoch, destroyed the King Solomon's temple, and then they rebuilt it in three days again. Because, you know, it had gone, it had become so uh, weak and a and, uh, fraction of itself. Like, it became so wrong and mistaken. Um, because the people who cared for it couldn't care for it appropriately. They didn't know exactly how to manage it. They had lost the, the mission. This mission of building the third temple over again, right? Which is a kind of sub-mission. It's an objective of... Um, you could call it true Israelites, or people who think they are true Israelites. Um, Zionists, people who think that they are uh, apocalyptic thinkers, people who believe this is going to bring back Jesus Christ, like the second coming, the resurrection. People who think that they are part of a great mission, a great objective. Push universally to the creation of the third temple. They may disagree, they may be competing over who gets to actually be the one creating the third temple but they want this third temple to be created which metaphorically is the third era of King Solomon of Enoch of what is considered traditionally the people of Israel you know the, the temple of Israel the basically the the masterwork the plan that was given to us by a higher power um given to earth, given to the tribes of, of the people you know, on earth to follow. This idea of salvation through the creation is exactly what Freemasons follow. 
Now, they may talk about universal brotherhood and everything, and, and that's, like I said, you have to kind of do your own homework and research on it. But basically, they are trying to create the world as they think King Solomon had envisioned. And one of the things that they do is, because they, they are Old Testament literalists, is they believe that all the world's faiths are only different because of the confusion that mankind suffered after the fall of the Tower of Babel. After the first Enoch tried to build a tower to cross over into the celestial realm, heaven, um, and force himself into the presence of, you know, ascended beings without ascending himself, that our spirituality became confused. That language of the soul, the language of the heart, and thus the languages of our mouths, the languages of our tongues, and the languages of our ears, that became confused. But the language of our eyes is the same. And so that's why they use the, uh, the eye symbolism, because an eye has no race, an eye has no face, but all men can see. You know, I understand that they're blind people, exactly. I understand, but that's the kind of yeah, the occult symbolism, is the eye. And they hold the eye as very holy because, in sacrosanct culture, because everyone's different, but eyes are generally all the same. Now, because of this uh, unification, universalism principle, there are Freemasons globally, internationally, and as a brotherhood which excludes no one and accepts everyone. Right, as long as they understand and are indoctrinated into the idea incorporated of the Freemasons, uh, which you know, that's it's it's a, like I said, you gotta do your own homework on how weird that thing is. But you can be a Muslim and be a Freemason. You can be a Hindu and be a Freemason. You can be a Buddhist and be a Freemason. You can be you know a Jew and be a Freemason. You can be a Christian and be a Freemason. A Mormon, they don't care. They accept everyone. A Catholic, because ultimately, like I said, they think that that's the confused language, is that these little differences and names and dogmas, and really it's all the same, it's all working towards the same goal, which is the return of Jesus Christ, the return of the Messiah, and ultimately the merger and falling away of this yuga into a new uh, yuga, into... Um, the, the yuga of where the star people and the earth people live together, to put it simply. I'm, I'm struggling to kind of comprehend and explain this very simply, but ultimately it's where gods and men walk on earth together. Where the, the creatures of heaven, the angels of heaven, the deities, the, the creatures of the positive higher dimensions join humanity on earth. The symbolism in the Old Testament is when the temple, um, the Millennium Temple, um, you know, appears to earth like a, the bridegroom to the bride. You know, the New Jerusalem lands, basically, and it's the temple of God in the highest of the mountains. You know, it gets this return to a, the yugic cycle, which in their interpretation will last for millions of years and be this kind of, uh, basically existentially permanent um, 
paradise. You know, until like basically, even in the Vedics though, it's all it's all cyclical at all. Basically, it's infinite and looping. So uh, there is just that cultural interpretation of time, of deep time. Christians in the West don't have an understanding of deep time, and thus they reject things like evolution or modern day science and things. It's not because they're ignorant; it's because they don't culturally have a understanding of deep time. Because in their nothing in their education tells them or prepares them for anything that will exist for millions of years. You know, unlike Vedic understanding, it's not human to understand things that can exist for millions of years. You know, I can't hold, like, a rock up to you and your first thought is that thing is billions of years old. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's the rock that you're seeing in the moment. People exist in the moment or think of the future. You know, like, how many times have people in your life, or your life, have you thought even that this is going to be a long time until something happens? And then you think about things like the Indian mythologies, and, you know, they're reincarnated millions of times in millions of different lives, and, you know, it's like a, it's a cycle of a billion lives and a billion deaths, and it's... Their culture is built towards a, a longevity, a permanence... Because their culture is so old. You know, this is the kind of culture coming from a civilization of 10,000 years. It's been consistently the same for 10,000 years. It's been called the same name for 10,000 years. That have lived with the same monuments for 10,000 years. They don't have a concept of newness. Nothing is new to them. They may have forgotten it, but they've done literally everything. And yes, in multiple lifetimes, like they 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 they've already accepted the idea of reincarnation. Like I said, no no concept is too far out for Indians, for Vedic uh, followers, for people in this this tradition or this culture. They've kind of accepted that, you know, the world, the universe is pretty crazy, <laughs> but they have a pretty accurate understanding of it, you know. And the Vedas is pretty pretty accurate. It's pretty pretty honestly very accurate. Now, what you may ask, where am I going with this? Because the point of the show is is the Vedic influence on Freemasonry, you know, the 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 influence of the Vedas, this Indian philosophy, this what because it, exactly it's not inherently Indian, it's not inherently uh, Hindu, it's an Aryan, an ancient Aryan, Indo-Aryan, which is code for Atlantean surviving or Pleiadian. Uh, you know, hybrid species of humans that were not entirely human, that operated on an ascended level from humans from an ancient world that was more advanced than the world we live in today. These Jedi-type people, right, from a galaxy far, far away, you know, a long, long time ago, they came to Earth... Or they, they lived on Earth, they were from Earth, but they had this knowledge that originated not from Earth, but from the cosmos and the heaven. And as their society, through age, washed away, they had saved it in the Vedas, these, these writings, like the, the Sanskrit tales of the Anunnaki, right? The, these ancient alien-type philosophies, which it most closely resembles. This knowledge is a blueprint 
for everything you see right now. Because like a blueprint to ancient technology, this ancient wisdom was discovered through the explorations of wealthy occult societies that had their reaches of power and influence to the highest levels of our western and modern societies from the military to the academic to the banking and financial to the criminal underworld Freemasons had that control and that reach their ultimate quest is to attain philosophic and spiritual knowledge that they can use to accurately rebuild a temple that was lost to the people who saw it destroyed. It's like they're trying to find the blueprints and instructions on how to build an ancient pyramid. You know? They want that secret. They want that knowledge because their job is to build another pyramid, a new pyramid, right? So they got to figure out how the fuck these old pyramids were built. This society would go to the ends of the earth and use all of the willpower and technology at their disposal to find it, which they did. They sent people into India... They sent people into those jungles under the disguise of archaeology, under the disguise of exploration. The Nazis even sent people into the Himalayan mountains to attain this knowledge. For the knowledge that was found and left behind in the Western world all pointed to this area as the origin points of the Aryans. Now, the Aryans have gotten a kind of rap that they don't deserve because their ideology isn't anti or, you know, exactly, it's gotten all muddled up, but that was a message that was purposely confused purposefully confused by Freemasonic controlled media to throw everyone off the track of how important and accurate this information truly was and that these people were really the real deal Now, you may say that it's more important for them to find real practical technology like UFOs, uh, free energy, um, you know, the actual building, and this is not attached to spirituality. Well, that's a false and narrow-minded way of thinking because they were able to get their hands on secrets of meditation of chakra empowerment, of chi, of the powers and gifts and abilities sometimes only imagined in the most mystical of oriental uh, circles. The ability to project one's image, to create a tulpa, which is like a creature that you create with your thoughts. Um, Like, you know, all that, the, the, the most fantastic kung fu type realities. That's ultimately the Vedas if I'm understanding this correctly this is why that knowledge was so important you know the Freemasons were going to get this this ability from them and their mindset was already very open to this information because they they know this ultimately goes back to their understanding of 
where the origins of man even come from and the kind of spiritual destiny of it. Not every Mason knows this. Not every Mason is hip to it, obviously. But the master ones know. And what I use as an example for that is how when Alfred Pike from Alabama wrote in Morals and Dogma that the masses of people could not understand their workings because it was as indecipherable to the common man as the Zohar. That means to me that these American Freemasonic leaders and intellectuals and thinkers, the elite, were obsessed with Oriental, Middle Eastern mystical practices and I can even break it down further with the imagery on the Shriners and the Prince Philip's lodges being uh, pharaonic headdresses curved scimitars Muslim stars um, the idea of worshipping in the east it's not to Mecca that they worship. It's to this fabled eastern land of northeast India that we know as Nepal. That's extremely important to them, legacy wise, culturally. Symbolically, it has been kind of converted now to things that only Western laymen can see. And at the same time, its roots are, are one and the same with what people would call a Gnostic or enlightened uh, Western thought, which is really traditional Far Eastern thought. Now, these are extremely heavy concepts, like I said, and that was, it's, it's, it takes an hour just to kind of start putting the two pieces together close enough where you can kind of see where they're lining up, why they would be one and the other, why would Freemasons be influenced with ancient, very ancient, proto-Brahmic, uh, proto uh you know, um, Hindu empire, Indian subcontinent, religious thinkings. It's because they're not just simply ancient thinkings. They're extremely crucial uh, users' manuals, blueprints, histories of a real cosmos. I have said before in many of my previous videos that are now archived on YouTube... And uh, this podcast channel, you can check the directory for different episodes in which I talked about the Vedas, the Vedic origins of the solar system. The, the Vedic, or I guess you call it the Vedic cosmology, the origin story, uh, the lore, the myths, the, the mapping, the geography, both spiritually and physically of the universe, the way they present that information. And their teachings. 
is, as I have witnessed, the most accurate when it comes to describing what the true cosmos looks like. The true cosmos really physically is. It's the best way I've ever heard it said. Most accurate way I've ever heard it said. It's also, I know, ironically, the easiest way to comprehend it. Especially when you accompany the 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 written word with actual visual representations of what's going on, especially the idea of upper and lower levels of existence relating to um, the hollow earth or relating to uh, different alien species or dimensional entities. Um, the idea of the flat earth versus the globe earth, that controversy, for example, is already answered in the Vedas where it describes the true dimensional reality as being a series of levels of rings and that extend basically up towards the actual gods themselves. And, you know, they both go as equally as high in dimensions as in lower dimensions, that the realities are actually not what you expect, but their differences based on uh, desires and um, spiritual powers and providences. And But to the 3D sensing being, the mortal being, the world appears to be a globe. And in fact, all worlds appear to be planetary globes, you know, orbiting each other, not connected to one another, but tantalizing each other. And that each one has basically a reality in a world with its own physical realities, its own physical laws that help define it. And make them elementally very different than each other. But it's only because of their lower vibration that they see themselves as so different. For example, when the moon landing occurred, the true moon landing, to the lower density, uninitiated, un unascended human eye, it appeared to be a barren, cold lifeless, black and white plane of nothing. But in reality, it's a very lush, fertile paradise world for beings that exist on a different dimensional frequency than ours. And that was a case of mankind trying to physically approach a world the spiritual world without phys without spiritually having acquired the permission to without spiritually having um, ascended to it yet that it was a that it was a um, proof it was evidence of of the Vedas themselves and this this kind of concept It's very interesting how the SSP, the Secret Space Program, and Cosmic Disclosure, the Disclosure Movement, connects in many ways with the complexity and the labyrinthian-like uh, nature of Vedic art and Vedic culture, especially Vedic myths and Vedic legends, having, you know, 
chariot uh, vehicles appear through the powers of meditation, uh, flying cities, uh, bombing other cities, kingdoms ruled by demons, um, gods at war with these said demons, you know, that are appearing from heaven and invading the earth, kings of the earth working with these cosmic forces, uh, these are realities in the Vedic, uh, cosmology, in the Vedic history of the universe. These are the same concepts that we as modern people talk about secret space programs or alien species or wars in space that are kept secret. This is the, you know, this is exactly what I'm saying is that it's an extremely accurate way of understanding the secret space program is, is understanding the history of it and how we got here, how we got to this point is found inside the Vedas. And that's just, I guess you call it the purely physicalist introduction for how or why the Freemasons would favor the Vedas as their search for knowledge and their search for um, true, uh, you know, historical accuracy when it comes to mankind's origins and spirituality and the stars and everything would eventually fall into the Vedas. Now, this is not to say that that's what you learn when you become a Freemason, when you go into these lodges, it's not like they're teaching you the Vedas, but inside their true initiates, like the true highest order, the past 33rd degree and of, they are deeply aware of these things, because uh, legendary figures like Manly P. Hall, the Freemason uh, magician who wrote all about Luciferianism and power in your hands and things like that, uh, wrote very long uh, articles and essays on the Vedic practices that he employed in magic and his stagecraft. This this is not a secret to them. They know all about this stuff. All the all their leaders do, even from Alfred Pike, you know. And that was in the eighteen hundreds when he was writing Morals and Dogma. We'll be back after this musical break with another hour of. Um, direct reference to a direct reference to the Freemasons and how they are directly inspired by the Vedas. Thank you for your patience.
hybrid face of time and space and all that's in between dimensions twist and turn amidst the whims of one foreseen Okay, thank you all very much out there in Dreamland. We are back. Now we're going to be speaking about the direct influences I have found in just a few of the online resources available when it comes to Freemasons and their opinions on the Vedas. Now these are just the articles I found on the first page of a Google search. And I want you to understand that this is a very good snapshot of uh, what the Freemasons consider the Vedas, you know, um, how important they consider them, how 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 um, special they really are as a type of philosophy, as a type of um, thinking. Because within the first pages of results, these are the results as an order. The first one are the Masonic Dictionary dot com. It's the Vedas. It's just the article defining the practice. 
I'm going to be reading it. Um, you know, so this is the accurate, this is exactly what it says. I did not write this. None of these words are my own. This is from the MasonicDictionary.com. This is what the Masons have already made approved. Because remember, it's a secret society that's not a secret at all. It's an open secret society. Vedas. The most ancient of the religious writings of the Indian Aryans. And now constituting the sacred canon of the Hindus. Being to them what the Bible is to the Christians. Or the Quran to the Mohammedans. The word Veda denotes in Sanskrit the language in which these books are written, wisdom or knowledge, and comes from the verb Veda, which, like the Greek, signifies I know. The German Weiss and the English Wit come from the same root word. There are four collections of these writings, each of which is called a Veda, namely the Rig Veda, the Yazur Veda, the Sama Veda, and the Artava Veda. But the first only is the real Veda, the others being but commentaries on it, as the Talmud is upon the Old Testament. The Rig Veda is divided into two parts. The mantras are the hymns, which are all matrical, and the brahmans, which are all in prose, so psalms and proverbs, and consists of ritualistic directions concerning the employment of the hymns. Find the method of sacrifice. The other vidas consist also of hymns and prayers, but they are borrowed for the most part, from the Rig Veda. The Vedas, then, are the Hindu canon of scripture, its books of law, and to the Hindu Freemasons, they are is trestle-board, just as the Bible is to the Christian Freemasons. The religion of the Vedas is apparently an adoration of the visible powers of nature, such as the sun, the sky, the dawn, and fire, in general, the eternal powers of light. The supreme divinity was the sky, called Varuna. Hence, the Greeks got their Oranas. And next was the sun, called sometimes Savitar, the progenitor, and sometimes Mitra, the loving one. Whence the Persian Mithras. Side by side with these was Agni, meaning fire. Whence the Latin Ignis, who was the divinity coming most directly in approximation with man on earth, and soaring upward as the flame to the heavenly goals. But in his nature worship, the Vedas frequently betray the inward spirit groping after the infinite and the eternal, and an anxious search for the divine name, which was to be reverenced just as the Hebrew aspired after the unutterable Tetragrammaton. Bunsen, God in History, Book 3, Chapter 7, calls this 
the desire, the yearning after the nameless deity who nowhere manifests himself in the Indian pantheon of the Vedas, the voice of humanity groping after God. One of the most sublime of the Veda hymns, the Reg Veda, Book X, Hymn 121, ends each strophe with the solemn question, Who is the God to whom we shall offer our sacrifice? This is the question which every religion asks. The search after the All-Father is the labor of all men who are seeking divine truth and light. The Semitic, like the Aryan poets in the same longing spirit for the knowledge of God, exclaims, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. It is the great object of all Masonic labor, which thus shows its true religious character and designs. The Vedas have not exercised any direct influence on the symbolism of Freemasonry, but as the oldest Aryan faith, they have become infused into the subsequent religious systems of the races, and through the Zend Avesta of the Zoroastrians and the mysteries of the Mithrans, and the doctrines of the Neoplatonists and the school of Pythagoras mixed with the Semitic doctrines of the Bible and the Talmud, they have cropped out into the mysticism of the Gnostics and of the secret societies of the Middle Ages and have shown some of their spirit in the religious philosophy and the symbolism of speculative Freemasonry in the modern world. To the Masonic scholar, the study of the Vedic hymns is therefore extremely interesting and not altogether fruitless in its results. The writings of Bunsen of Muir, of Cox, and especially of Max Muller will furnish ample material for future study. Source, Mackey's Encyclopedia of Freemasonry. Is that it's an open secret society. Nothing is secret really from anyone inside the society, and nothing is secret within the society from anyone outside the society. It's just that they are very discreet. And the idea of discretion is if it happens behind a closed door and at a reasonable volume, no one will be interested. <laughs> and thus they don't really they don't really need to answer any un un awkward questions because no one really asks them. And it's not like they're awkward questions to begin with. It's They keep themselves actually in a very intellectual and academic safe point. It's not like they get up to anything nefarious. They're just really a bunch of esoteric and occult scholars who operate within mainstream America and thus avoid the, um, you know, association within the daylight hours, the working day hours, of someone who would be reading what other people might consider, um... I don't even know what other people consider. Exactly. See, it, it's kind of like, you, you try to be an apologist for why people would freak out about it, but it's like, these same people would probably freak out from someone who spoke multiple languages. You know, it, exactly. It, but they do appreciate, and they do respect the Vedas, and that's extremely apparent within the dictionary article. 
and they reinforce and admit <laughs> that they are connected to the ancient Aryans in that they are the oldest Aryan scriptures. And in saying what they... So, exactly, this is written by a person who probably had the same cultural relativism and cultural superiority complex that a lot of uninitiated Masons have. And they haven't suffered the true ego death, the true experience that is known as the experience. And he is saying that, oh, its influence can be felt because of its super ancient origins and literally everything that we know already. All the things that we are that are different but exist as each other, like the spiritual practices, the mysteries, the different occult schools, they're all from this Vedic teaching. But we as modern people really are not connected to it. But we are. Because all of modern modernity came from these original teachings and nothing has been changed except the names. Remember, the true initiate thinks that all religions, dogmas, churches, schools, and beliefs are the same belief, the search for light, the search for the name of God, which was lost to humanity upon the confusion of the languages, suffered upon us by a wrathful and vengeful God. This is the actual belief system that the true initiates understand. The lower initiates think that this is just reality and that they are trying to observe reality. The real initiates are trying to fix reality. They're trying to repair reality. And the way they're doing that is trying to learn the languages. Trying to connect the dots. And one of the major pillars, um, uh, the, it's like digging, archaeology. They're trying to find what is the oldest and the most basic, right? So they get back to this point pre, uh, pre-fall of the tower, pre-fall of Babel uh, society and learn that language. The Vedics, uh, the Vedas is the closest that they have gotten. This is, they don't even try to hide, this is the oldest Aryan viewpoint. Remember, Aryan is just a word for Atlantean. They stopped saying Atlantis, and they started saying Aryan around the same times when they found Troy. When they found the city of Troy, they realized that all the ancient Greek and ancient world cities were real. That these were not myths, they were not legends. They were honest-to-God history. And when they realized that Troy was real, they realized Atlantis was real. And from that point forward in academic circles, they invented a thing called Aryans. Because it's silly to say Atlantis is real, but it's scholarly to say the Aryans are real. Do you understand how this works? Also, there's some translation issues with, like, you know, over time, the Germans started calling them Aryans. It's the same word. It's the same word. It's like, 
you know, how Chinese people can't say R. They can't pronounce that letter, so that would be like Arantians. And same thing, Aryan. It, it, it evolves over time due to dialect. This is like, uh, what's it called? Linguistics. That it's, it's linguistics. Alright, next article. This is from a source called The Masonic Philosophical Society Recapturing the Spirit of the Renaissance. It's from the blog.philosophicalsociety.com Or .org, sorry. So blog.philosophicalsociety.org Under the banner The Masonic Philosophical Society Recapturing the Spirit of the Renaissance. This is an article that appeared when I did a quick search from Formal Science. It was written October 18th, 2020. Right? So basically brand new in the terms that we're speaking about when it comes to like scholarly stuff. So this is brand new. This is cutting edge stuff, right? Vedas and the quantum mechanics. When probing the workings of the universe, science fixates its eye on the future. Its mind worries with progress. Science is the incremental accumulation of knowledge, a house of a thousand bricks, where each layer is laid upon the last. It is a method of knowing whereby truths can be falsified, and knowledge is only maintained through proof. Strange, then, it may seem to many... The claims that ancient Hindu texts should have anything to say about science, let alone quantum mechanics. In the West, the ties with religion which had begun to fray with Galileo have at present been cut. Religion, as it is alleged, makes claims without proof. It knows things it could not possibly know. To believe, it's acts of faith. In the east, the waters are murkier. Our story begins with Oren Schrodinger, one of the greatest physicists of the century. Sorry, I, I immediately lost my place. Sorry, it uploaded again. I don't know why the page did that. Alright, so Erwin Schrodinger, one of the greatest physicists in the century of the astounding. Aside from being amongst the principal minds behind the quantum mechanics and a Nobel Prize winner to boot, he was also a scholar of Eastern philosophical wisdom. In particularly, Schrodinger, famed for his cat-in-a-box thought experiment, was fascinated by the Vedanta and Upanishads. Nor was Schrodinger alone. Another Nobel laureate and founder of quantum mechanics, Niels Bohr, remarked, I go into the Upanishads to ask questions. The Vedanta is not one of the six schools of the Hindu philosophy and means the end of the Vedas. A lengthy collection of religious texts, the Vedas originated in ancient India. Composed in Sanskrit, these texts constitute the oldest body of Sanskrit literature. The oldest scriptures in Hinduism. The Upanishads are a key text within the school, through the terms are often used interchangeably. The texts deal with meditation, 
philosophy, and ontological knowledge, knowledge about existence and reality. It is in these texts that concepts of Brahman, ultimate reality, and Atman, soul, was established, with the connection being the uh, two explored. Sorry, with the connection between the two explored. So influential were the Upanishads that the pessimistic philosopher Schopenhauer called them the most profitable and elevated reading which is possible in the world. Indeed, it helped spark Schrodinger's most insightful works in physics. But what did Schrodinger see? The universe is two in one. Two phenomena bound together. It is a wave like those in the sea and also a particle like the sand on the beach. It is not one or the other. It is both. This was Schrodinger's breathtaking insight. For the layman, this connection can be mind-boggling. How can it be both? Yet a century of experimentation has confirmed this theory. Take light, for example. It comes bundled up as a photon, a particle. But once you fire them one by one through a slit, you can see them hit a screen, fire them in their thousands, and a pattern will form, just like water lapping through a harbor entrance, or undulations of sand in shallow water. Light is also a wave. For Schrodinger, the two-in-one nature of matter in reality reflected the insights of the Vedas. Vedanta teaches the consciousness as a singular, he wrote. All happenings are played in one universal consciousness, and there is no multiplicity of selves. The Brahman, the world consciousness, and our minds were one and the same thing. Indeed, Eastern philosophers have described human life like waves riding along the surface, only to crash upon the shore and return once more to the ocean. It is the form of the wave that travels, not the wave itself. The image is not the material. The person and the universe are indivisible from the particle and the wave. Writing in what is life, Schrodinger reaffirms the understanding. The unity and continuity of Vedanta are reflected in the unity and continuity of wave mechanics. This is entirely consistent with the Vedanta concept of the all-in-one. For Schrodinger, quantum mechanics and the Vedic concepts of consciousness are compatible. The mind is something greater. Its plurality of experiences and physiological states is an illusion of a single entity. Interestingly, a recent theory proposing a link between consciousness 
and quantum mechanics has gained ground or, or orchestrated objective reduction suggests that inside our cells, tiny quantum movements make up the workings of minds. Proposed by mathematician Roger Penrose and anesthetist Stuart Hameroff, the theory has many detractors. However, the link to Schrodinger's work in philosophy is of definite interest. Whether there is any truth in the quantum connection or it is just the fancies of brilliant men remains unknown. In a world stripped of the spiritual mysteries, that alone should give us pause. And it ends with a quote. From the unreal, lead me to the real. From darkness, lead me to the light. From death, lead me to immortality. The Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. One three twenty eight. I believe that article approached the subject the same way I approached the subject as well. As an American, as a Westerner, as a modern man. And that is, we see the world physically first. We see the world as science has taught us to see it, as our culture has taught us to see it materialistically. And we see it through the lens of great men, of great influential heroes that we were taught. We were simplified the world's history of life experiences into the lives and efforts of a handful of figures, these elite icons, these elite heroes of whatever field of reality, right? These reality shapers. These gatekeepers. We asked first, what do they think is important? In a game of monkey see, monkey do, spiritually. Existentially. The conclusions that this person has found, and I said this is a lower level unenlightened but extremely astute and intelligent Mason because they said there is no idea of spiritual reality but the idea of the physical world's mysteries have replaced spiritual uh, philosophical quandaries questions and existential crises the crises of physics of science the mysteries of the real world the of the known world because there is no separation between the two spirituality or physicality just the, the claims and the conclusions he makes here that all the great physicists of the 20th century, all the great philosophers of the 20th century, all the great seemingly German Aryan descendant philosophers and scientists who created the world of quantum mechanics that we hold as our new modern science god as the frontier of the most advanced human thought that has ever been thought and seen without a question that these men who we consider our gods thought the Vedas were the most important ancient texts 
They asked questions to the Vedas. They got their answers from the Vedas. What the layman Westerner has to see through the lens of Hinduism, because that's really the easiest way for us to interpret it. It must be a school of Hinduism. But it's not. It's something older. It's something greater than Hinduism. And it cannot be denied how incredibly ancient these writings are. That they are known to be the first and known to be the oldest of these oldest religions, of these oldest languages. You also cannot deny that in this it is made apparent that what we think is the most advanced our society and our species has ever been is only because our thinkers, our leaders, started following and reading and gaining access to, in the Western world, what the Eastern world had already had access to. And that these texts were not purely philosophical in nature. They directly correlated to reality. Whether you want to call that physical reality, or uh, advanced science, or um, you know, extra-dimensional, whatever, how you want to define the universe, that these were the user manuals to the universe, that these practices, traditions, cultures, which had originated because of these texts that were accessible within these regions, was a very successful, profitable, and Schrodinger said, the most profitable available in the world. They were literally considered the best things you could read, study, or follow by the most learned men in our civilization Men who already, by their efforts, had created our civilization in its modern shape and form. And they were bending a knee to, they were becoming students of writings that were considered the oldest discovered writings from any human society. Not because they were correct in their simplicity, but because they were more advanced than anything they had ever encountered in their study before. These are men who split the atom. These are men who created atomic weaponry. These are men who created what we know as the internet and things. Modern medicine. And they were barely able to understand the depths of what conceptually the Vedas are about. And they could only understand it through the physicalist principles of it. Um, but it goes to show you that anyone who's intelligent would also say that those behind the scenes, those who are discreet, 
those who are the company of these men. Who study alongside, if not are smarter, and know to keep themselves secret, keep themselves private. How much more do they appreciate these Vedas? If one Mason profits from reading the, the Upanishads so greatly, do you think that wouldn't go noticed by the true elite? The true uh, top dogs, if you were the Alpha Masons, those that, like in every world, want to be the best, want to be the strongest they can be, want to call the shots, want to be the kings in this world, as human nature is ought to do? Do you think that this arms race of knowledge that already in the 40s and 30s, 40s, and 50s was very clear as day within these intellectual academic circles. Oppenheimer, for example, quoting the Bhagavad Gita when he created the Manhattan Project. You don't think anyone else was in the room going, hey, what did that guy just say? Uh, what book did he say it from? I'm going to read that book too because clearly if the guy who's making atomic fucking bombs is talking about a book, I want to get on that, right? Like I want to be down with that trip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get high off that supply. Realistically, just use your imagination. We've had almost a century of access to this globally. Men of all different nations. Masonry is an international order. Think about how widespread knowledge of the Vedas is currently in the occult elite and the real rulers of our communities and our society. Think about how the scientists and technologists and engineers of the world are reading and answering their questions, are asking their questions to the Upanishads, Upanishads, and reading the Vedantas, reading the the Rig Vedas, reading the Samaya Vedas. Because we've already had a century of the most important scientists physicists, doctors, uh, t- nuclear engineers, uh, you know, real real kings of the earth, you know, like real elite uh, power players that will be remembered forever, bending a knee to the wisdom and mystery that are, that is located within the Vedas, which was found in the East, which symbolically for Freemasons is where the light originates from. And like has previously documented, every occult society (laughs) originates from what some say is Sanskrit, what some say is Aryan, what some say is Indo-European, whatever name you want to give it to, Atlantean, the Anunnaki, Enlil, Inki, the Anunnaki, uh, the Wingmakers, you know... It's a user manual for reality. It's a user manual for the real existence that we're living in. And I can guarantee you, it is required reading in the CIA.
I guarantee you that you are not a member of the elite unless you have read cover to cover and memorized at least one of the four Cardinal Vedic texts. Okay, to continue, finally, we'll be introducing a slideshow that I have found from Taraknath Taraptor. He is an Indian, obviously, uh, research into the influence of Swami Vivekananda, himself once a master mason. That is the title of the slideshow, is Influence of Vivekananda and Vedanta on Freemasonic ideas. Like I said, remember, there are international lodges all over the world. There are Masonic lodges in India. There are many of them. There are major Masonic lodges in India. Some of the largest in the world. Not only through numbers... But through dues and through influence. There is not one world leader now that is not a member of the Freemasons. There is not one country on earth that there is not a Freemasonic Lodge. And through the Freemasonic Network, because it is ultimately a temple... And it is ultimately a library, a repository of holy knowledge. Anyone could request from their, I guess you call it, keeper of holy books or their librarian to, uh, to get a copy of the Vedas. You can buy Vedas on the Amazon. You could read the Vedas online. They, exactly, like, you know, this is not saying that it's super hard to get information any longer. But it's also not to say that you couldn't get accurate native followers of this. You could have multiple generation Vedic sages who are also Freemasons. They would have direct abilities to communicate their interpretations of this knowledge. All you'd have to do is be motivated enough to learn. Like I said, not every Mason is enlightened. Not every Mason gives a shit. Most Masons don't. And that's kind of like the big thing in their society is that it's just how many doors are you willing to keep opening up? <laughs> because they'll just hide it behind like the one more door than you're willing to open until you get bored. And that's kind of like the game. It, you know, it's like the snatch the pebble from my hand. And then it's like, you know... It's not a it's not a question of exact can you can you overpower someone it's just can you can you actually get yourself in a position to do it like do you actually have the will just to keep trying you know it, it, exactly it's not a test like it's a test of how much you know before you can know more it's just simply if you can do it or not it's it's a very open ended question and that's it's you know they're not going to deny any mason the the uh, chance to learn. But, you know, ironically, they won't, they won't really hold your hand on the whole thing. 
ironically, because their ceremony is being led by your hands while you're blindfolded. But, but in their defense, too, you do wake up and you're becoming, like, a full man. Like, you're a minch after you wake up from the whole Hiram Labiff false burial bullshit resurrection thing. So you're supposed to just start taking charge. Also, I mean, you're an adult when this starts, so... <laughs> it's up to you to learn more about the Vedas if you are currently in the occult, uh, possibly even a Mason yourself, a fellow traveler, and... You, you think this is all crazy, like you haven't learned this before because your small town uh, lodge or wherever, maybe not small town, but your lodge or whatever doesn't talk about this. It's like saying you're a Christian, you go to church, and they don't talk about Gnostic belief. Not, I mean, that's understandable. <laughs> that's understandable, exactly. It's not like it's top secret information, but most people just don't care. 99% of people don't know this even exists. The Influence of Vivekananda and Vedanta on Freemasonic Ideas by Tarek Nacht Freemasons, their fraternal, non-religious organization. They're spiritual. Remember, they're not religious, but they're spiritual. They're monotheistic. They do believe in the one creator, nameless God, the derived source, the grand architect. That is something that will divide the lines because it's not contradictory to say, for example, ideas of Brahma. And they, they do kind of only associate with monotheistic ideologies. Although most polytheistic ideologies are monotheistic ideologies with pantheons attached to them. Um, true pantheonists and true pagans are philosophically kind of simpletons. That's that's absolutely the case. Philanthropic. They like uh, charity and everything. Sim symbolism. They love symbolism. They communicate mostly through uh, hieroglyphics and symbols because of their ancient Egyptian boners. Male only. I refer back to the ancient Egyptian boner part. Male only. Controversial. Everyone's always weirded out by the fact that, you know, they exist. They exist. Simply existing is enough to be controversial. They're mysterious. They're like back towards the idea that they exist. The occult practices in light and shade. Uh, like I said, they it's a lifestyle of theirs, so it's, you know. They dress funny. Yeah, they, they kind of do, but it makes a lot more sense when you think about, like, how ancient um, priests dressed and stuff. It's actually kind of conservative, and it's very downplayed. Um, I do like their more Solomonic uh, robes, and because I like the old Hebrew temple garb with, like, the diamonds and jewels on the chest plate, like, like Ark of the Covenant stuff. I, I get it. It's not the fact they dress funny, it's that many people don't have a any understanding of ancient Hebrew or you know Moses to King Solomon era Israel then it you know is exactly what a Freemason lodge looks like on the inside it's just like a little King Solomon temple like it's like a little, little diorama of, of what King Solomon lived in 
origins. They were a stonemason's guild. They're from England and Scotland, right? Late 16th century or early 17th century. It may actually be earlier. Knights Templar. <laughs> Knights Templar. <laughs> the Roseland Chapel, Scotland, 15th century. They were clearly the elite of the labor force and had secret customs and marks. Source of influence with the Freemasons. You can start with Greek philosophy, science, and math. Stone Masonic ideas and terminology, like engineering. The Bible, Holy Bible, Hebrew scriptures, like Old Testament literalists. Alchemical symbols. The Kabbalah. Religion and philosophy of the East. That's where your Vedic uh, influences are going to be coming from. Your religion and philosophy of the East. The East is where the light comes from. Remember, the East is where the light comes from. The East is where the light comes from. Ancient Egyptian culture. I told you, the Pharaoh boners. <laughs> the Pharaoh boners. <laughs> Knight Templars. Knight Templar. Knight Templar. <laughs> See, I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid about this, exactly. Oh, yeah, Freemasons are just Knights Templars. Why? Are they just rebranded? <laughs> it's rebranded. It's like how Adidas and Puma used to be the same company. And then they broke up and one became Puma and the other one became Adidas. It's the same fucking shoe. Ancient megalithic culture. Pyramids. <laughs> I don't know, I'm gonna really express that point across. They want to figure out how to make pyramids again. Because they gotta make another pyramid. Because <laughs> they gotta make another pyramid. <laughs> They're really interested in how pyramids were made. Because they have to do it, and it's gonna be such a bitch if they don't know how to do it. It's like, they wanna figure out how cars work, because they're gonna have to build a car from scratch. And it's gonna be really difficult if they gotta invent that motherfucker from the bolts up. That's how, that's how complicated you're like, what the fuck is transmission oil fluid? <laughs> you're like, exactly, you gotta do a lot of inventing if you gotta invent a car from the ground up. And they hope they just find one. They just find one and have to like put it, it'd be easier for them in the long run, so. Hermeticism. Astrology. They're basically, uh, in many ways, like Hindus, in which they, they have the six different schools of their own thought and their own belief, but that's always a very generalized... They basically take influence from hundreds of different esoteric and occult sources. Baseline, though, Old Testament Hebrew Israelites. That's, that's the easiest way to understand... Uh, Freemasons, and the light comes from the east. The light comes from the east. So, Freemasons, traditional view, a system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated in symbolism. Freemasons, a modern view. Freemasonry is but man's quest for truth. Truth, indeed, is the most important of the three grand principles on which the order is founded. The truth that Freemasonry teaches is the knowledge of oneself. 
Our rituals and ceremonies are specifically designed to guide us into the spiritual journey, to dispel ignorance, to know God, and to finally to experience God. Masonic Symbolism and Vedanta, 2004. W. Bro Chakravathi Sampath Madhvan. Lodge Jihoti, 253 Salem, Tennessee. The view of Masons, the religions of the world, though all aiming to teach truth, express that truth in different ways. The Meaning of Masonry by W. L. Wilmhurst. Expanding Frontiers Early, all Christian religious sects, Jews, Muslims, Zoroastrians, Sikhs, Hindus, P.C. Duda, not polytheists, not a polytheist, not pantheist, neither false idol worshippers. So I told you that the, the Masonic people, if they have one thing that they don't like, it's false idol, small idol, small god with a small g. Um, they don't like pure pantheists. Because if you don't have a central unifying intelligence, then it doesn't really philosophically add up. Like, how could you have a just a random god, like a rain god, without any central... Like, who created the rain god? Why is the rain god mad at the mountain god? Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Who made the mountain god? Or who made, like, was the mountain god stronger than the ocean god? Why would they even be competing? Mountains aren't in oceans. Like, you know, like, 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 like the ancient Greek gods... That, that's kind of dumb. I mean, but it, is, it was controversial even when it was created. It's not really well understood, but that is how they view it. They don't worship or spend their time worshiping smaller idols. Like I said, they're not poly, polytheists. There's no there's no spiritual competition or idea of difference within the gods or, or multiple gods. There's, there's no polytheism. There's not pantheistic. They are not pantheists. They don't think it's like a... Uh, Greek or Roman system at all, then they don't worship false idols. They're actually uh, very strong about that, much in the same way that uh, you can't just create your own god, like a mini-god. Like, you can't be like like that bullshit spaghetti god, or like, you know, you can't just worship like a shoe and think that that's like the god of the shoes. and that Because, you know, why not? It's It's not a joke to them. They, they're very serious about the monotheism. Because remember, they're old school literalists, so they do believe that there is a punishment, especially for ignorance. Monotheistic to Vedanta. See, so that's the idea. Like, how can it be monotheistic if it's a Vedanta? Dualistic. It qualifies as monistic. Non dualistic. So it's monistic. Mistakenly equate it with pantheism. Nope, it's monistic. Vedanta as par Ramakrishna Vavakandana. Vivekananda. Freemasons. Three grand principles. Truth, brotherly love, relief. The degrees. Apprentice Mason, fellow craft Mason, master Mason. Scottish Rite, up to third, third degree on the Scottish Rite. The York Rite, I think, goes a little bit higher, but that's mostly controversial. And there's other different little lodges that are like mini lodges... Um, shit like that. Narendra becomes a mason. 
1884, February 19th, he applies. February 23rd, his father dies. April 5th, passes the Freemason test. April 15th, Fellowcraft Mason. May 20th, Master Mason. Narendranath and Narendranath and Freemason Regalia, 1884, apron of F.C. Mason, a fellow craft Mason. So, timeline of Narendra's uh, masonry, right, when he's a Vedic uh, Hindu. In 1884, in the 1800s, Hindus were cooperating and joining the Freemasonic lodges and communicating and spreading their ideas with the wealthy occult elite of the Western white world, for better or worse terms. In the 1880s, 20 years after the Civil War, a man from Alabama, Alfred Pike, could have had a conversation with a man from Bangalore, India, at a Freemason Lodge, about the Upanishads. That was a possibility within the Freemasonic circles. For almost 140 years. And this guy hit the ground running. February 19th applied. February 23rd, sacrificial killing of his father. April 5th, passes Freemason test. April 15th, 10 days later, he became a fellow craft Mason. Five days, oh no, a month after that, he becomes a master Mason. Alistair Crawley level <laughs> initiation speed, where you just you join and within a year you're like within a, a spring. He joined that spring and by that summer he was a master mason. That's why I said it's not that people are stupid. It's just that it does require a lot of your own homework, a lot of doing your own work, and if you come from a culture of Eastern light. Spiritualism. If you come from a culture of enlightenment and education and well-reading when it comes to this stuff, you can become a master mason because this is what they're looking for. Whereas a man can sit in a blue lodge as a third degree mason for 15 fucking years and never have the smarts or the efforts enough to just, you know, graduate into a higher degree... Because, like I said, it's not like they keep it from him. He just doesn't have the motivation and the cultural bearing or the personal inclination to do it. But I'm just saying, as this guy's personal example, 1884, February 19th to May 20th, he replied, you know, if you want to be one, ask one. So he asked the guy, hey, can I be a Mason? They sponsored him. He goes in, does his thing. Within, like, like two months. Oh, wait. February, March, April, May. Yeah. Four months, he becomes a Master Mason. Right, and he's the one going to be teaching them the Vedantas. And after this musical interlude, we'll continue on with the slides. But thank you all very much for your patience and for listening, all your listeners, new and old. Consider following this podcast, subscribing to it, whatever directory you are listening to it, either Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, Pandora. I have many different directories that I'm going with uh, through this podcast, so if you are listening to one of those, uh, you know, follow, subscribe, download this episode, 
Definitely appreciate it. You know, it's why I offer it for free for people to uh, listen to it, educate themselves. You know, it's a it's a passion project of mine. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you guys sincerely for having the patience to be listening to me uh, speak about these ideas. Um, and, and tell me what you think I could be changing, improving on, uh, what you would like to hear more of in the future. And definitely uh, check out and follow my Instagram, my other social media accounts for notifications, previews, and for updates on projects, episodes, and videos that I'll be producing um, for this podcast, The Rumors of Instinct Podcast, or my YouTube channel, The Rumors of Instinct Podcast on YouTube. Uh, definitely the Instagram is at Rumors of Instinct, one word, at Rumors of Instinct Definitely appreciate you guys going out and checking that, following it for daily memes, uploads of UFO evidence, occult evidence, cryptozoological evidence, alternative evidence, basically free thinking. It's a sanctuary for free thinking. It's a fortress for um, truth. And basically it is the front lines for the stuff they don't want you to know. I know that is someone else's catchphrase, but at the same time, it applies so accurately to everything that I am inspired to do and hope to keep doing, continue doing, um, you know, as far to the future as I possibly can. So thank you all. Remember, you guys support these efforts. You fund these efforts with tips and donations, so definitely check out the Patreon and PayPal. It's going to be on the link tree that I'm going to be posting with this video in the description box, so check that out. Thank you all very much for, um, you know, following me or, or joining me uh, through my efforts. I know this podcast isn't a year old yet, but it is already past the six-month mark. And I got to tell you guys that it has been a great six months of bringing you guys videos and, and um, my opinions, my insights, my experiences, as well as those of others. Definitely, I would like to continue that. If you wanting to be a special guest on this program... If you have information that you might find uh, that you think is important and, and would think that I would find important too, reach out, DM me, contact me. Either you know I have many different social medias: Twitter, Facebook. I'll post the links to my email, um, etc. on Instagram. But definitely, that's the easiest way to contact me: DM me through Instagram, email me, um, leave a comment on YouTube. Definitely read all those. I'll get in touch. It, you know, encourages me, it motivates me, it also is um, why I'm doing it, is to kind of reach out and to connect with everyone in the community, connect with everyone in the audience out there in Dreamland, who uh, might be going through some issues, might be going through some things, might be uh, dealing with some some thoughts of their own, some independent thoughts of their own, you know, breaking the conditioning. And I'm always here to kind of answer any questions, uh, share any experiences, and give a voice to the independent man, the common man, the people. And so um, if you have a story to tell, if you have insider knowledge, if you have experience in any one of these occult subjects, we could definitely work out a special guest appearance for you on the podcast. We can definitely work out sharing your testimony, etc. So just let me know about that. Thank you all very much out there uh, for your patience. Once again, cannot say that enough. We'll be back after this musical break with the continuation of this presentation of the Vitas and their influence on Freemasonry. 
Thank you all very much. I am back. Now we are going to be diving right back into this deep, deep ocean of information. This is Tarek Nath, Teraptor's uh, slideshow, Influence of the Vivekananda and Vedanta on Freemasonic Ideas. All right. So similar. What is the secret of Master Masonry? The true knowledge of ourselves, the conscious realization of our divine potentialities. W.L. Wilmhurst. A master mason says, Religion is the realization of the divinity already in each man. Each soul is potentially divine. The goal is to manifest it. Masons highly regarded Vivekananda, but not as a mason. Thus they have paid home homage. There are a number of prominent Indians who have been Freemasons. The most important and revered of all, of course, is Swami Vivekananda, who is known to us as Brother Narendra Dutta. Commemorating Vivekananda. Lodges named after him. There are two Freemasonic lodges named after Vivekananda. Kanakanamura Lodge, Vivekananda, 254, inaugurated the 12th of February, 1985. Then you have the Nagpur Lodge, Vivekananda, inaugurated 2nd of April, 2010. Commemorating the Swami. 
Centenary celebration of Swami became Mason, becoming Mason. Nineteen uh, second February nineteenth. Sorry, Indian ways right in the days. February nineteenth, nineteen eighty four, at the Anchor and Hope Lodge. He was also again honored in uh, nineteen eighty four a centenary tribute after a hundred years after his eighteen eighty four application, initiation, and acceptance into the Masonic Lodge. And in 1999, at the Conference of Kolkata. The Grand Lodge of British Columbia and the Yukon. The Swami is the only Indian whose biography has been published by this lodge. An old book. The Lost Keys of Masonry by Manley P. Hall, 1924. Forward by Renald E. Bright. Essence of Vedanta. Life is a Divine Adventure. A Splendid Quest. And the 21st Century... Masonic Symbolism The Vedantic view of Masonic symbols and ideas Swami Vivekananda, our saintly Mason The four paths of yoga to attain Mukti can be followed by Freemasonry too Freemasonry in light of Vedanta's philosophy Despite the numerous parallels between the symbolism of the fraternal organizations of Freemasonry and the ancient Hindu philosophy of Vedanta there is a rather small collection of meaningful articles on the topic Basically, given a working knowledge of both systems, here I have attempted to formulate a basic structure by which we can see how Vedanta understands the symbols and the teachings of Freemasonry. The point within the circle, a Vedantic perspective. A Vedantic perspective of point within a circle for Master Mason's ritual to establish it as a universal truth applicable to all people. This definition of the absolute by reference to a relative would give credence to Swami Vivekananda's words that these are but attempts to realize the infinite from a finite perspective. Speculations into the origins and the whys of the rituals in Freemasonry. Tracing the history of rituals and charts using through the gist of Pantanjala's Yoga Sutra and its impact on the personalities of men. He concludes by a notable quote by Swami Vivekananda. Let me end my dissertation with the words of Brother Swami Vivekananda that the experience has been possible millions of times before and will be repeated eternally. The need of gurus. The Masonic guru meets the Masonic teacher who meets the Masonic mentor. Author Hendrickson, 11th January 2013. Freemasonry is a spiritual path. The discussion of a need for a guru in the yogic tradition 
is is exactly paralleled in the need for an apprentice or uh, fellow craft mason with a grand worshipful mason or a mentor mason. It's the same philosophical uh, practice. It's the same religious practice. The same way that you would seek out a guru to teach you yoga and to teach you the philosophies through example, through living with them. Same way that uh, a mason worships with a grand worshipful uh, master mason and attempts to one day be able to do that same job. The, The year in the east, as they call it. Remember, light comes from the east. Influence of Vivekananda. The thrust of Hindu Vedanta is propagated by the Indian Mason Swami Vivekananda and the pioneering work of Albert Pike in establishing Hindu and ancient Aryan themes within the American Scottish Rites degrees formed impressive substantiation of spiritual thought. Let me repeat that one more time. The thrust of Hindu Vedanta is propagated by the Indian Mason Swami Vivekananda and the pioneering work of Albert Pike in establishing Hindu and ancient Aryan themes within the American Scottish Rite degrees formed impressive substantiation of spiritual thought. Now, ladies and gentlemen out there in Dreamland, I have not reread or pre-read this um, slideshow. I have not pre-read this slideshow. This is the first time I'm reading it alongside everyone. Right? I mean, I did verify its veracity. I did verify its accuracy, but not every slide I was privileged to. I, in the previous hour, tried to explain the importance of the Hindu Masonic connection by saying that figures in the 1800s in America would have access for the first time to Hindu Vedic Oriental thought, but that gentlemen in the elite top 1% of the ruling class of Masonic figures like Albert Pike who would become the author of Morals and Dogma, which is basically the the American manual for um, upper-level Freemasonic esotericism and thought and occultism, worked together. They did actually work together to create Hindu and ancient Aryan themes within the American Scottish Rite degrees. In the 1800s. The American Masonic Rites, that the American Masonic Scottish Lodge, since Albert Pike, was created specifically to include ancient Hindu, Vedic Hindu, and ancient Vedas into the symbolism, the imagery, and into the philosophical writings of the Freemasons in America. 
That was their grand design and the grand purpose. Pike and Vivekananda wove ancient Indian teachings into the Scottish Rite lectures. Albert Pike, Alabama born and raised, Confederacy proud, secret ruler of the Reconstruction America, Albert Pike, 1809-91, Knights of the Golden Circle, Scottish Rite Freemasonry, and Swami Vivekananda, apparently the most well-traveled Hindu in history, hung out together, and they created American Freemasonry for the modern world. That would be as much of the most ancient Aryan Sanskrit philosophy and knowledge as they could convert into good old boy American apple pie Christian Bible values that you would never be able to tell where the two began and the two ended. Many people don't know this, for example. You know, baseball is a Freemasonic ritual played out on a uh, the idea of sport. That's why it's so controlled and ruled. Um, it's actually Freemasonic rituals that they, uh, they just do, um, they just do with a ball outdoors and people confuse it as a sport, but it's really just, it's their, it's their, uh, it's their kind of inside joke. Same, that's why cricket is so popular in India too. It's because these sports are actually Freemasonic cosmological representations of like you no know, stars and planets and shit. It's it's a very interesting uh, field of study. But the reason why this field of study exists is because everything that you thought was American was actually created in America. So you're right about that. But it was created with the help of Swami Vivekananda and Albert Pike, who was basically a fucking wizard. <laughs> like um, some Freemasonic wizard in the 1800s changed America's cultural identity and created it. He created the 20th century from what it was to what it is now. And he did so trying to change America away from its former roots into the roots of a nation such as India or a people such as India. And he did this with the help of someone from India, Swami Vivekananda. Albert Pike, Morals and Dogma, Swami Vivekananda. Manly P. Hall, Essence of, uh, uh, essence of the uh, Vedanta, Masonic Vedanta. It was Swami Vivekananda's teachings regarding tolerance and belief in a supreme being that first drew our attention towards commonalities between Hindu Vedanta and Freemasonry. Swami Vivekananda showed how closely the Vedantic Hinduism resembles Masonic teachings of the ascent of the Masonic degree. In rare genius, Swami Vivekananda was able to weave a fabric of universal religious tolerance for humanity that was simultaneously Masonic and Vedantic and might be labeled Masonic Vedanta. Masonry in India the legacy continues. Swami's disciple, Swami Paramananda, was cordially received by Masons in Buffalo, New York, USA. CIC of the GL 
felt. Oh. Commander in chief of the Grand Lodge felt the message that the Swami had for them was of the utmost importance to all humanity. Okay, so if I'm if I'm not fucking mistaken, that's uh fucking Truman. No, not Truman. Um uh, fucking guy's name. Well, uh, 1920. Who the fuck was the president in 1920? Herbert Hoover? No. William McKinley? Is it between McKinley and Hoover? But basically, the president of the United States, because the president of the United States is the commander-in-chief of the Grand Lodge, and the Grand Lodge of America apparently is the Grand Lodge of Buffalo, New York, the message that the Swami had for them was of the utmost importance to all of humanity. The President of the United States in 1920 apparently said the person, this message from the East. Remember, light comes from the East. Message from the East, Volume 9, 1920. A brief review. Overall, 240 papers by nine separate Indians have been uh, published within the Masonic, uh, I guess you call it, records. Vedanta in four, Vivekananda in one. 215 articles by famous Masons mention the Vedantas. Marcus Aurelius and the Vedantas, for example, by R.W. Bro... Uh, bro uh, sorry. Righteous Worshipful Brother, Leon Zeldis, 33rd degree from Israel. So, as important as Marcus Aurelius and the Stoic philosophy of the Greeks is, so is the Vedantas. And as we imagine how important a philosopher that Marcus Aurelius was, he was influenced by the natural concepts also found within the Vedantas, the knowledge of the self, the self and the relation to the creator, the circle, the dot inside the circle, the point inside the circle. Did Swami influence them? W.L. Wilmshurst and Norman Vincent Pale. Did Swami influence Wilmhurst? Walter Leslie Wilmhurst, 22nd June, 1867, 10th July, 1939. One of the world's greatest Masons, despite are the deepest mystics and most perfect of English gentlemen. That was what he was described as. He was described as one of the world's greatest masons, the deepest of mystics, and the most perfect of English gentlemen. The Meaning of Masonry, 1922, which is a book that the, uh, Wilmshurst had written. The earliest teachings of the mysteries traceable within historic time was in the Orient and the language known as Sanskrit, and for the very great lights upon the ancient secret doctrines, one must still refer to the religious and philosophical scriptures of India, which was in its spiritual and temporal prime when modern Europe was frozen beneath an ice cap. Occult Review, March 1924. Review of R.M. Buck's Cosmic Consciousness. The person affected realizes as never before the oneness of the universe. He sees himself as part and parcel of the unity 
which he senses as the expression of a single conscious life. At the moment of the experience, the realization of the consciousness of the separateness of the ego and the non-ego, the knower and the known, entirely disappears. The ego death of what the ancient Middle Eastern mystics called the experience. The experience where the veil is lifted. The self dies, but the soul continues aware of its universal immortality and of the false illusion of life. So a single conscious life at the moment of the experience, the realization of the consciousness of the separateness of the ego and the non-ego, the knower and the known, the object and the subject entirely disappears. The man who has once had it is no longer able to feel a shadow of a doubt as to the human's immortality. He knows with certainty that no argument or evidence can shake reality. Raja Yoga of the Vedantists. It is the Raja Yoga of the Vedantists, the royal art of self-integration that Wilmhurst writes about in 1994. Oh, that was written in a book by Contemplations Being Studies in Christian Mysticism, published 1994. But this is a book that was written called Contemplations Being Studies in Christian Mysticism. W.L. Wilmhurst, he had a profound knowledge and understanding of world religions. The chief scripture of India, the Bhagavad Gita, and its relation to present events, was written in 1906. Widely acclaimed as a unique interpretation to the Western world of one of the greatest esoteric teachings from the East. It is unsure whether Wilmhurst knew about the Vedanta, but there is a lot of evidence to that he was familiar with it. Remember, not everyone can read everything. And even though we stand on the shoulders of giants, we are privileged to information that we can only reach from the vantage point that they afford us. Occult Review the monthly magazine where he published many articles also published many articles on Vedanta, e.g. the philosophy called Vedanta by Florence Fair, published in 1908. Believe in yourself, self-belief. Norman Vincent Peale, 1898-1993. The power of positive thinking. The art of living. The champion of positivity. As quote, to me, Freemasonry is one form of dedication to God and to service to humanity. He was influenced by Carl Jung, who knew about Vedanta. See, Carl Jung, one of the elite thinkers and philosophers and psychologists of, Amer of the world's history, developed psychology, one of the major schools of psychology, one of the major ways of interpreting psychological reality and phenomenon of the mind, uh, through imagery, through symbolism. 
heavily influenced by ancient mysticism, ancient mystery schools, of which all trace their origins to the ancient Vedantas. You know, and I think there's no real questions anymore on the influence of Freemasonry. I'm not, not the influence of the Vedant, the Vedas onto Freemasonry. There is no, sorry, I've been talking uh, three hours right now. So, sorry. There will be a couple of mistakes and flubbers, and I will have to kind of uh, start with my conclusions and everything as my own fatigue gets the best of me. Um, but there is much more to be said about this topic, obviously. It is a rabbit hole to go down to if you believe in those things purely objectively, objectionably, where it's you want to just study the material for the connections themselves. But if you look at it from the lens of a mystic or a lens of a spiritualist or a lens of an intellectual thinker, it's not merely a phenomenon between these two communities, between the sociological group, its membership, its citizenry, its influences and influencers, and a connection of cosmopolitan thought or thinkers or orientalism. Yes, that is true. Yes, you can study it sociologically. You can study it analytically. You can study it very sterilely. But if you have a heart, if you have a human soul, and you connect ontologically or existentially with the pursuit of spiritualism, or the pursuit of truth and its importance and the motivations that each of these thinkers has within the communities as responsibilities not only to themselves, but as members of their societies and members of the human race, you see that much of the most inspiring levels of communication and brotherhood and humanity in the Western world as embodied by Freemasons is directly expressed in its connection and reclamation of its pre-Sanskrit past, of its true ancient origins within the Vedas and its true loyalty to the idea of universalism and open-minded acceptance of truth in this version of monotheism, uh, monasticism, you know, uh, that we had gone to, mysticism, but the fact that it's willing to seek out, search out, and to change once confronted with This truth, this Aryan truth, this Indo-European truth, this Atlantean truth. Every major American Freemasonic individual has existed within the Freemasonic lodges created by synchronizing the two beliefs of Western, Christian, Judeo-Christian, Old Testament, origin, Israel-centered, Kabbalistic, ancient Egyptian magic, ancient mystery of Babylon style teachings with currently existing surviving remnants 
of Vedic schools, of Vedic knowledge, of Vedic texts. They are not at war with each other. They're not at odds with each other. They don't deny each other or compete with each other. But they are truly building bridges between communities that have not shared the same breath and air for thousands of years. They are truly, in this way, rebuilding the pre-fall of Tower of Babel society, connecting the most foreign of elements in humanity together with the most incredible and uh, powerful ancient texts available. That's why the Western world is so heavily influenced by the Vedas, from our scientists to our philosophers to our engineers to those that created our century, basically, our 21st century, the 20th century, those who have defined it and have written history themselves since the 1800s have been working for this mission, working for that end, to create in America a modern synthesis of what could be considered Old Testament, ancient world, ancient Egyptian, ancient Atlantean, ancient Greek, uh, ancient mysteries, and the Eastern light, the Eastern Orientalism, the Eastern mysticism, the Eastern spiritualism, the Eastern experience and knowledge. And it was only until those two actually were remarried, that they were reintroduced, that they were re-included in conversation together, that the progress of the West truly started to matter. That the thinking of the West truly started to make sense. That progress in the world was truly made at last. And that we are no longer seeing the world as one does in a dark age. But we are now returning to an age of enlightenment. Regardless if you are a Freemason sympathizer or not, if you're an antagonist to uh, occultism or a, a literalist or a traditionalist for any one faith, be that Islam, be that Christianity. Um, remember that the idea of brotherhood between men and uh, enlightenment for all and the gift of the immortal human soul in connection to the all universe, the, the, the great source of creation, is not, in, is not new, nor should that be fought against. Uh, that's not evil. You're confusing evil with good and good with evil. And I'm not saying that you have to wholeheartedly accept anyone or believe in anything. That's your choice to make. The idea is, though, that this is not a conspiracy. This is not new in any regard. And that there is an absolute tradition written down and historically available for the connections between the swamis of the East... And the people who, uh, the, the yogi gurus and the, the Hindus and the Vedic Hindus and the uh, practitioners of the Vedas with the Western intellectual mysticists, the Christian mysticists, the, uh, the Scottish Rites Freemasonry. From Manly P. Hall to Alfred Pike and to many, many others. The same way that it's a fact that many of the 20th century's greatest intellectuals 
greatest philosophers, greatest engineers, from Oppenheimer to Schrodinger, publicly declared their respect and admiration for the information available in the Upanishads, in the Vedas themselves, in ancient Sanskrit, ancient Aryan text, both religiously and, and intellectually. They found it not only challenging, not only interesting, but valuable, but profitable. And in their sincere opinion, the most profitable one could ever, one more most profitable endeavors an individual could ever um, aspire to or undertake. And these were men who were splitting the atom, that creating atomic weaponry, creating uh, radar, things like that, computers. Uh, you know, giving birth to the 20th century and all the advanced technology and theories that we hold. The people who are responsible for the science and the physics behind CERN bent a knee to the wisdom and knowledge that was found in the Vedas. This is not a time to be a fool. And this is not a time for fear. In the 21st century, a man should be as bold as a man from the 19th century was. If not even bolder. And I sometimes imagine what someone like Alfred Pike would think of the world as it is. And not just the world, but of the people in it. And not just the people in the world, but of the Americans that live now in the same land that he tried to create. It's clear to me that we all have a lot of homework to do. And to quote Bill Cooper, I am not advocating you believe in anything or anyone, but I am advocating that we all learn as much as we can about everything possible because everything that we have been taught is a lie. I am Rumors of Instinct. This has been the Rumors of Instinct podcast. Namaste and Shalom for all my listeners. Sincerely, I appreciate you guys. Uh, follow me from the start and all the new listeners. This might be your first episode listening to. Check out the portfolio and archive of videos and episodes on my podcast directory and my YouTube channel, both the Rumors of Instinct podcast. Um, check me out and follow me on Instagram at Rumors of Instinct uh, I have Facebook and Twitter as well as if you want to get in contact that way. I definitely appreciate every single one of you who reach out, who leave a comment. Let me know what you think of the video. Any suggestions that you can make, feel free to. Uh, Even if you just want to reach out and share your experience, definitely recommend that too. Uh, You guys encourage me at everything like that. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. 
Thank you all very much. This has been a segment of the Lunar Calendar series on the Vitas that is going to be a year-long type of uh, residency. The co-host that I normally have could not make it due to an emergency, um, but she is the resident expert on the Vitas and will be looking forward to discussing the next show on the next new moon. Her name is Sema Agni. She, on Instagram, it, her page is at Sama Agni, all one word, S-A-M-A-A-G-N-I. And she would definitely, um, you know, definitely love if you guys checked out her page, subscribed to it, followed it, uh, supported her, um, you know, and all her efforts and her projects. She is excellent, a wonderful soul, um, totally old soul, totally, uh, you know expert on this material, um, a yogi in her own right, a guru in her own right. Um, I definitely ha- would have wished for her to be available to help give her insight to these things. But, um, you know, if you guys hope to post a question, you can reach out through my page uh, as well, and I can hope to get it to her as well. So uh, we'll be looking forward, uh, forward to that next time on the new moon. This is our full moon episode. I'm sorry for the delay, but this amount of material the process was a lot it had to do a lot of homework on it had to get into the right mindset and everything um you know it's a lot of heavy lifting so thank you all very much for your patience and listening to this episode on the vedic influences on freemasonry thank you all very much namaste and shalom iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend check out my link tree below from my different social medias and all my different directories for my podcast check me out on iHeartRadio, on pandora on TuneIn, on apple Podcasts, on google Podcasts, anchor spotify overcast Podbay. um you know you name it free radio public i'm probably on it himalaya so thank you all very very much uh Like I said, God bless you and your families. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Winter to the 
that he treads on will blossom Till beauties around him shall throng God bless such a man and a brother And here's to his health in a song And here's to his health Here's to his health And here's to his health in a song As clouds that in sunshine are open And silvered by light passing through So men who are generous in spirit Are blessed by the good deeds they do There's nothing like helping another So oh.